Hello, everyone, and welcome to the House of Apis podcast. I am Katie. And I'm Mila. And today we are going to begin scratching the surface about women's health, our mental and physical well-being. This is a really important topic, and Mila and I have a ton of topics within this topic that we want to explore, and we'll discuss them over time. But for today, we want to begin exploring this space and delve into some broader topics regarding mental health, stress management, and some of the physical health implications of both. One of the House of Apis values is that self-care is not selfish. And so for this episode, we're going to explore a few topics within that space. Yes. And I would like to get started by talking about mental health and to introduce the term languishing. This term was coined in 2002 by a sociologist named Corey Keyes, who was struck that many people who were in the press also weren't thriving. His research centers around the premise that the absence of mental illness does not translate into the presence of mental health. So one thing doesn't imply the other. So as we read through several articles to prepare for this podcast, I was surprised to find out that those feelings of fatigue, emptiness, lack of energy, blah feeling, or what the French call ennui, is actually referred to as languishing in psychology. And languishes is basically a state in the middle of being depressed or flourishing. And flourishing is where people feel realized and happy with their lives. And although this term had been discussed for two decades, it has been talked about a lot more during these past months due to the fact that the pandemic had obligated a different life rhythm into people's lives and created a feeling of identified boredom or nostalgic. Katie, what do you think about this concept of languishing? Have you heard about this before? Do you know anyone besides me that has gone through it? <laughs> I, I heard the term, but not in this context. Like I had heard about languishing. I, in the article, there was this one piece that I thought was interesting um, that says not depressed doesn't mean you're not struggling. And so I think that's at the crux of it. I, I think what was interesting about this article and the timing of it was that not just you, I had other friends that said like they were describing it as being in a funk or just not feeling motivated or not knowing how to get back into the groove. And that was frustrating them and they couldn't find a solution for it. Like they couldn't figure out how to get out of it. And so they just felt like they were having an off day versus recognizing that there was this thing going on, which in our, one of the articles we read, it was like naming things sometimes can be super helpful <laughs> just to realize, oh, it's a thing. <laughs> it's a yeah. thing. Yeah, it, it's definitely a thing. So uh, yeah, for me, it's interesting because during the lockdown and during the situation with COVID where we had to do a lot of things indoors, then I actually didn't have any problem. I, I was even embracing the fact that I had time for myself and I was uh, uh, with a close group of people that I would see mostly. But then I think that the moment that I started going back to work, I started feeling this, I don't know, funk and being, I call it being blue, feeling blue. And uh, I think it had to do with the fact that you had to reignite this social life that you had before everything happened with COVID. And then I think I felt that there was a lot of expectations of people wanting to meet and then doing all these things. And then all of a sudden from being totally calm, then you had to go uh, somewhere else and be more active. I felt, I, and I thought it was depression 
And from hearing the podcast, you know that I have uh, dealt with that in the past. And then I was very scared that I was going to go back into a very uh, dark hole. I'm still feeling that I have something, but then maybe I have a name for it that is languishing. I'm not flourishing at all. I know that. I feel very content with where I am with work and what we are doing with House of Apis, even though there are a lot of things that are difficult at the moment, but I feel that then that is what I'm going through. Well, I mean, I think, you know, you're not, you know, you don't feel like yourself, right? So you're like, so like you try and seek what the cause is to change those circumstances. And when you don't know what you're dealing with and you don't know why, and you're kind of like, well, I should be totally fine. There's, I get to, to I need, I get to go see my friends again. I get to go interact with my colleagues in person again. This should be yeah. a good thing, especially yeah. the, now for you, not for me, because I am a deep introvert, but you have, you are a, an introverted extrovert. You like to get energy from people in a lot of ways. And you would think you would be jumping at that. But then when you go to jump back into it, I mean, I think depending on where you live, And how the return from, which I think is funny because we're still knee deep in it, but right, like we're theoretically wiser about how to manage what's happening with COVID. But depending on where you're at, the speed of re-engaging was different. And that may or may not have aligned with your own personal comfort with the speed of re-engaging. For example, this evening, actually, we're going to an outdoor concert and we've gone to one other at this facility. We feel very comfortable about it because of the way that it's organized and how, right, you can get spread out. And I live in a place that where people wear masks and people are predominantly vaccinated. So I feel more comfortable about it. We have friends who are going with us this evening And the question was like, I don't know. I don't know if I'm comfortable. It makes me nervous. It makes me anxious and blah, blah, blah. So you tell me all the reasons why I should be okay with this. And I'm like, no, I'm going to explain to you what the situation is. And I'm going to tell you why I'm okay with it, but you're different than me. And it's a different level of comfort and we're all re-engaging in our own ways. And so I'm just going to give you information and then you've got to make the choice that's right for you. And you need to know we're cool with whatever you decide, right? Like, um, Yeah, everybody needs to take uh, in consideration what is good for them and what is not good for them and then uh, make decisions based on that. Definitely. I agree with that. There was something in this article, though, in this one article that was talking about the concept of flow, which I thought was intriguing because I I think this is what I did. (laughs) I didn't know it was a thing, but it said a concept called flow may be an antidote to languishing. Flow is that elusive state of absorption in a meaningful challenge or a momentary bond where your sense of time, place, and self melts away. And so it was saying the best predictor during the pandemic or the early days of the pandemic of well-being wasn't optimism or mindfulness. It was flow. And people who became more immersed in their projects managed to avoid languishing and maintain their pre-pandemic happiness. So you remember that like, I got a sewing machine. I was doing all my crafts. I was diving into cooking. I was like, I was, and at the time I had taken a hiatus from work, I was busier than my husband who was still working full time. So I didn't know that had an, and didn't actually, well, I think I knew I couldn't just sit around, even though I had taken this time to recuperate, I, I can't. I know that just sitting around actually stresses me out because I feel like I'm wasting 
mm-hmm. opportunity. Mm-hmm. So that is a stressor for me. So I don't know. What's your thought about flow? I, I love the, the, the concept and how that they describe it. However, there was something there that you just mentioned as well, that people that had uh, flow and they're well involved in these projects, they have, they, they were able to return to the pre-pandemic happiness well, or they, they maintain to maintain, to maintain, they maintain the pre-pandemic happiness. And then that is an actually very charged concept because it is like that assumes that you had happiness. Yeah. What if you happened. weren't happy? <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. No, true, true, very true. Exactly. You didn't so get that, worse. You didn't get worse. <laughs> you get away with worse, which is good, which is, I think is good. But that is what, for me, triggers me a little bit. I think that it is also to say, which is the flow. So for me, there was a lot of going with the flow because there was all this time that you didn't know what you could do, right? Yeah. So one one week or at least here in the Netherlands, then there was one week that you could go to the stores and the stores were open. The other week, then they closed the stores. Then the other week, there was a, a curfew and then we could only be out until um, uh, nine. Then there was uh, until 10 and there was always something. So I think that for me was that part. Well, However, but, it's, but to that, going with the flow and finding your flow based on the definitions in this article, are different things. They are different. They are totally yeah. different things. Yeah. And I think that is also when people are talking about languishing, they are talking about the concept in between depression and flourishing, which is something that could happen anytime. And it could have been something that I was, I don't want to say suffering, but I don't know what the other world would be. Like I was experiencing, let's say that something that I was experiencing before COVID and yeah. that it didn't get any worse or better with COVID, but then maybe I noticed it afterwards a little bit more. So I think that is what it is. So for me, it doesn't necessarily have to do too much with COVID, but it has to do with the mental state and the depressive state that I know that I can get into. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that I was a little bit scared that it, I would go through that rabbit hole dark rabbit hole. There are several concepts that are related here and that are in in a way intertwined and several experiences for me but to understand languishing is interesting because some people say i'm bored <laughs> but it's not really that it's not really that you are bored because you are doing stuff it's not that you are uh, sitting doing nothing and it's not that you are depressed it's basically this languishing fatigue is all this combination of being in standby somehow yeah and i don't think what i'm about to say is actually a fair language comparison either, but like some of it, it felt like a little bit of ambivalence. I just, I want to be excited about that, but I just can't. Like there was in the one article, he compares it to the Simpsons characters going, meh. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. I, I, so yeah, do I have moments of that? Yeah. But I don't, I, to what you were describing and what some other friends had described, I just, I didn't experience that, but I wholeheartedly could understand with just the strange circumstances that people have gone through over the last year and the news we were inundated, like just all the things, that stuff comes at us in general, but it was just such a concentrated, when you're stuck in your home, all you can do is watch what's happening. And so you, you feel this greater, less of a sense of control. We're going to talk about stress later. That's my 
bag of ooha to deal with but but the languishing thing i i feel grateful that maybe i just i knew i needed flow and i got it in there who knew that my mask making and my my deconstructing pajama bottoms to make my own pajama bottoms would turn out to be a mental health trick <laughs> I who knew. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is there anything? So, Mila, you're navigating this. Is there anything you'd throw out there? It's all individual and how you pull yourself through different things. But is there anything that you would share that you're exploring for yourself that is helping you? Or or what advice would you give to others that are in the same circumstances that you're finding yourself in with languishing? Yeah, I think that for me, uh, the fact that I could vocalize it, you know, that I could share it, I'm not feeling well, there is something going on that I did with you, with some other friends. I think that is very important because then that makes it, first of all, you you can get it out of yourself and you can say, this is what I'm feeling. And it's not all in your head because then in your head, it becomes bigger. But when you talk about it, then I think that you put it out there and they say, this is what I'm feeling. These are the challenges that I'm having. And and I want to deal with that, but just, I just want to make you aware. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that is important. Uh, It's also because I think that you have to give yourself a little bit of a break. That is something that, that happens that sometimes you feel, okay, I'm I'm feeling, like I say, I feel blue. And then I just want to be in my cocoon. I just decided that being in my cocoon is okay. So that makes it okay. And, you know, trying to pamper yourself. And we're going to talk about some things that you do to to relax or to try to manage stress. I have been trying to take care of myself in different ways. So either going to the gym and, and, and exercising and taking myself out of my head and then just trying to make it physical in a way, then that helps. Or or maybe even I can go in for a massage or going for a walk or something like that. But we're going to talk more about that later. I think that is important for me. The most important thing is to vocalize and say, okay, I'm not, I'm not in my best. Yeah. 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 All yeah. right. So <laughs> Before we move into the next segment, I think it's time for our compelling question, which I'd say this is more a relevant question than a compelling question, but it's a question we're going to put out there. This is a hard pivot, right? So we've been in this, one of the things that I think relative to languishing to what you mentioned was this shift of, for many people, you're operating out of your home. You've had to be in this virtual environment and now slowly get back out there, go start doing things in person, but let's reflect on the year and a half, almost two years of virtual environment that many of us have been immersed uh, with. And how, so let me just ask you, how do you feel about video conferencing and specifically having to be on a video all day long in some instances? Especially when everything started, it was great in the sense that I could be safe. I could be productive. I could be engaged. And at the same time, when everything started last year, the weather was beautiful and I was sitting, not in my place, but in, in, a, in another place with a big garden in the sun and then working distantly. So at the beginning, it was perfect because it allowed me to be connected. Then it started getting that there was no line between personal and uh, professional because then you are available 24-7. 
and I can go to, to the kitchen and start uh, working there. But basically you are taking your phone and you're making, uh, or your laptop even, and working from bed at night, at the middle of the night, because you have the deadline or something. So then it blurs everything and there is much more work. Now I think that it's getting to a moment that the video conferencing getting to be too much. I started going to the office. So I started to change my schedules. The people that are not in the office, like in my location in the Netherlands, then I'm not going to talk to them. People don't want to spend that much time behind the computer anymore on these calls. But at the same time, we got used to it. And then they go, I will just Zoom you. And I'm like, no, I'm, I'm in the car, I'm driving, so I will give you a call. So then we try to do it differently. And I think that is the time that I would like to have some meetings with people in person. So then I can look at the product that we're talking about, look at the material that we're talking about, look at each other faces, and then be able to walk together to have lunch together or walk to the coffee machine and have a coffee. So it's interesting because I think the learning curve and the journey that many people were having over this last year and a half, almost two years. I did 10 years ago. So I've been working with global teams and in a global environment for actually more than 10 years. It's more Mm -hmm. than 10 years. And so I didn't, I didn't actually web conferencing was like a huge win for me because I was constantly on the phone. Now I could actually see the folks I was working with and could start seeing facial expressions and could build a bit more of a relationship. And then because I worked internationally, it was how I stayed connected with my parents and my friends and stuff. Mm So I, I think, but to what you were talking about, you gotta make boundaries around those things. And so I, I had my moment that a lot of people experienced over the last year and a half, 10 plus years ago with, oh, I don't do calls after this time. I don't do calls before this time. I mm-hmm. give myself time to go to lunch, blah, 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 blah. Now, when we get to the stress section, that's a whole other thing about my current circumstances. But when it comes to those pieces, I don't, I, I, I don't think Today, it doesn't stress me out like others are being stressed out about it because I think I was an early adopter (laughs) and so (laughs) agree with it from that perspective and in those ways. I mean, the big thing for me is, right, like I actually, if I'm not having to commute, I get two hours more productivity because I'm at home. And so I consider that part of my work day. And so I just get more done from that perspective. I I do have a friend though, that recently, I know she listens to the podcast. So Brooke, this is your question, but (laughs) who had asked me knowing that I'm an introvert, knowing that I don't need as much in-person contact, was I still feeling like I was disconnected or, or missing in-person relationships? And I'm like, what do you mean? I'm in person with you. Now I now am, I can be far more selective about it right now and get that interaction. And just because I've had to cultivate and maintain so many friendships through a virtual environment, because my friends are scattered around the globe and around the country. I think it's just part of my DNA at this point, but here's what I do get. I do 
get that looking at a screen all day gets pretty tiring, right? So I know I, I have a wholehearted, healthy respect for needing to diversify what your day is like. And as somebody who in their other uh, life is facilitates workshops and does learning experiences, sitting on a Zoom work session for eight hours over multiple days. Oh yeah. It's a death march. Like it's just, it doesn't matter how much you enjoy zoom or like how much you might be wired a little bit like me. That's not fun for anyone. So anyways, that's my two cents about the video conference piece. And so, right. Like that's our compelling debatable compelling (laughs) question of today, but it is the segue into our next topic relative to mental health and stress and anxiety and those types of things. Mila, why don't you pull us into that next topic? Yeah. So related to that topic, we want to talk about what other causes of stress and anxiety can be driven by technology. So we reviewed an article by Dr. Ginny Harrison and Dr. Matthias Lukasen, titled Stress and Anxiety in the Digital Age, the Dark Side of the Technology. And that what they do in this article is that they explore the top five stressors that we have with technology and that cause a lot of stress and anxiety. And one of them is a perpetual distraction. So whether you are on a Zoom or a video call, or you are uh, talking on the phone, or you are in the shower, or you are eating, you constantly have a notification (laughs) coming from whether it's your WhatsApp group, whether it's your email, whether it's Instagram, whatever it is, and you are always having some distraction. So that can cause a lot of stress. How many times is that they say that people look at the telephone? I have to look at that number. Oh, it's high. I don't remember what it is, but it's super ridiculously high. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So somehow we are very predisposed to have this grabbing the telephone every time that it blinks, or even when we're doing emails or we are working on a presentation, then we have a notification coming up about something. So you are always distracted and not focused on what you are supposed to be doing or what you are putting your time to do. I do. I think that's super true. And I, especially, <laughs> I know I'll talk about this in a little while, but right. Like when you've got five different lives in your one life. And so I think about, and, and we don't even have to manage the kid thing. Cause there's a whole yeah. other layer of more notifications you get in managing and helping to support your kids. But the, just the, the pinging all day long is, is a bit crazy. And it also leads into what the next one was. If you don't mind, if I tackle the next one, which is about sleep dysregulation, the notifications were really bad for me, especially with messing up my sleep because my phone is my alarm clock, which was probably a strategic error, but I, I like less things on my nightstand and so I could get rid of the clock. But what that meant was that the pinging was going on all night long. And for example, when we were in that program, we did in Amsterdam and everybody <laughs> went back and started this WhatsApp group. I'm the latest time zone. I am the last one to wake up out of our group. And so I'm trying to go to sleep and the phone is exploding with conversations. And I'm like, you all are killing me. Like, so <laughs> I was like, I'm sorry, y'all are going to think I'm not engaged in this group and this conversation, but I have to turn you off. I can't sleep. My phone goes off all night long. Um, 
as well as just the fact that I have friends scattered around the world. And while they're up, they send a notification, you know, they send a note and then it, yeah, changed. of course. So, yeah. So I, <laughs> and sleep is hard for me to come by, especially as I get in closer to this menopause thing. And so I've put the do not disturb on my phone from 10 PM to 7 AM, by the way, world, you try to get me anytime between <laughs> 10 PM and 7 AM Pacific time, unless you are my parents, you are not getting through. <laughs> so. Exactly. And that is that I have the same thing, but I have, so I have it with my family. We have a cousins app. We have my brothers, uh, me app. We have my parents uh, and uh, me app, the whole family. So it's unbelievable. And I have friends, obviously, on the other side of the world as well. And then uh, the thing is that I have their favorites because they live so far away. Then I have my parents and also my brothers. But then my father, bless him, he has a very big uh, very big finger so then every time that he's going to every time that he's going to look at something on the app he ends up calling so he does in the whatsapp and then the telephone rings because he's one of my favorite you know so uh, sometimes in the middle of the night i get just because their phone is ringing so that i've had to well and you know when you have older parents and you get a call in the middle of the night it, you're up fast because yes. you're like what's going on what's up exactly Exactly. So then we cannot go to sleep early or we have a very early meeting and then we are we are very much engaged with work and then our work-life balance suffers. There is something that we talk about at some point earlier in one of the podcasts that had to do with burnout. That is something that people here in the Netherlands, people are taking care of when they have burnouts, but it's ubiquitous in a way, which it shouldn't be, but it's just that people are not putting limits on anything. And then the fact that you can be connected with your phone and do whatever you want and talk to whomever you want. And it's just too much. It's just that the work-life balance never stops. Either people don't put limits or everybody has different limits and just okay. assumes that other people have the same limits. I'm old school, right? Like I'm generation X. I worked my butt off to be able to get my Monday through Friday gig with bankers hours when possible kind of thing. And right, my, my day is extended longer than bankers hours, but I work really hard to do that. So like I... I am trying very hard to not have to work after 6 p.m. Mm -hmm. and have my downtime. But others, that's when their downtime is, right? They actually needed it. They had other obligations that they were able to bob out and deal with earlier so that they then, and then they go, after I've got the kids down or whatever it might be, I start working again. Don't expect me. I've had leaders where I've said, that's your balance. I will not be responding until the morning and just yeah. have had that conversation. And, and by and large, with one exception, everybody actually gets that. And the person who didn't get that, I didn't give them much energy, but, <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah. but yeah, that's the whole thing from there too. Yeah. So what I was going to say is as a leader, what I do is because I understand that I have a different balance. What I do is, for example, let's say that I'm coming across an article or I have an idea and I send it out at different hours or I'm working on the weekend and then I send out some things. I say in my email, I say, this is not for now. This is for Monday or Tuesday or tomorrow morning or whatever it is. I say, I'm just working on this. So you don't have disregarded until you come back from your holiday or disregarded until whatever. It's just that I'm taking it, I'm getting it out of my system, but I'm just letting them know that they don't have to act on that. 
And it's funny because we also have some group apps and then I sometimes I that it pings at night for me. I'm just, let's say I'm watching a movie or whatever, and then it just comes up. And then I have colleagues that sometimes, or people that I supervise that sometimes they are doing something and send an email. And then I just say, okay, just go back to your you know, family, just get yeah. out of their email. And then they said to me, but well, you are doing the same. And I'm like, okay, that's fine. But it's, I just want you to get out. So they don't have the, the feeling that I'm also expecting them to do these. I'm actually expecting them to enjoy their time. If you weren't posting this, I wouldn't have had to stop my evening to tell you to not post it. One of the tricks that I used to do though, is I would, you can, in a lot of platforms, you can time your email. So I would get the stuff done, but I would time it not to send until like Monday morning or whatever. But, and I know other people that did that. Now it also looks like you, sometimes it looks like you dumped 20 emails in on Monday morning, depending on how much you get done, but it is another (laughs) little trick from that. One of the other things they talk about that creates uh, stress and anxiety from the digital age is this concept of FOMO, the fear of missing out. And that if I'm not paying attention or if I miss it or something like I've missed some kind of opportunity. Um, And I've been guilty of that in moments, but other times I'm just like, I don't have energy for that. But are you victim of FOMO? No, not really. No, I, I sometimes I get annoyed that this people I talk to people and then they said, did you see the email that I sent you? No, I'm just talking to you. I just, just called you or something. I don't I don't think so. This article says to test whether people are addicted to their technology for that reason. Ask your friends and family if they've ever considered coming off social media. My answer is yes. Unfortunately, the work we do doesn't allow it <laughs> in order in order to connect and communicate with people yeah. on a personal level. Holy crap. Yes, I would mm-hmm. absolutely love to. I think one of the reasons I don't is because of the global nature of my, my social circle. It's the least expensive way to stay connected. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. However, what I have done is that I have limited the people that can see my status or my comments because if you are not in my smaller circle of friends then these friends from Facebook they probably don't deserve to know or they don't want to know whether I went to you know yeah to a, a restaurant and had a glass of wine with you I'm just saying that I have criteria I have, yeah. I have criteria yeah. like you you don't and so all of you House of Apis folks out there just know I'm trying to figure out my personal strategy to be there for you in a way that's important for you, but I'm still trying to keep by my rules. So Facebook, you don't get on Facebook, my Facebook friends, unless I am willing to drop what I'm doing and go get a beer with you. That's my criteria. So if I don't accept your invite, it might be- <laughs> or I'm just, I'm actually also very lazy about accepting invites, but LinkedIn, because so many people use LinkedIn to go, oh, wait a minute this person is connected to this other person. So yeah. maybe I'll interview them or perhaps I should talk to them. I'm actually like on LinkedIn. I'm, I try to keep it to a, if I've met you and that can be virtually or mm-hmm. in person, but it's those kind of things with us launching house of Apis. I've opened up Twitter, but you'll notice I don't tweet that much. <laughs> I need to change that. Um, as well as Instagram, because it's a little, uh, it's different to me, but that's where I've, yes, to what you're saying, I've, I have criteria. 
Yeah, the one thing with LinkedIn uh, with LinkedIn is that uh, people send a connect thing without a message or anything. If yeah. you don't know me, please send me a message or not saying, oh, yeah, we also like the same things. I think there's some class that teaches people to do that. <laughs> yeah, there, there is. I'm sure there is. But it's OK. No, forget about it. I'm not going to accept your invitation if you don't tell me why you are inviting me. Or we have and so in, co- in common and then I appreciate their work or I appreciate what they do or whatever. And then maybe we can link. Click. No, Yeah. it's not. It's not Tinder for professionals that I don't like. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The other thing the other thing that happened with social media is the social comparison. That is something that we discuss when we talk about or when we introduce the pillars and the imperfect life, that there is a lot of this Instagram culture of people that look at each other and look um, uh, around and say, okay, look at what they have and look at what I have because the other people are doing something that you are uh, perceiving as better, like the grass is greener on the other side. And I think that is putting a lot of stress as well because it's creating a lot of expectations or even in aspirational things that are not necessarily your own aspiration, but you are just comparing yourself to others. Yeah, it's one of, it's part of those values for House of Apis, right? Like we are all imperfectly perfect. We have our own things and the own aspects of our lives are who create us and build us into the individuals that we are. And there's beauty and value and everything. And I think when you're doing that comparison, it's very easy to get in a rut from that perspective. It's frankly, it's what you and I have talked about this. We'll actually have a podcast episode on this as well. But every time I get a catalog that has a diversity of women in shapes, sizes, colors, um, like freckles, skin nuances and stuff like that. I am sending a picture to Mila because I'm like, this is beauty. This is what beauty looks like. All the fabulous different things about us and celebrating that and clothing manufacturers who do that, by the way, you'll have me as a quick customer and, but we'll, we're going to have a whole uh, episode about body image, but I think to what you're saying, that comparison, not only just how I look, but the experiences I have and the places I go and those types of things. And I'm guilty of sharing all that too, because I'm excited and I'm proud of that. But then it's also then how do you interpret it when you're seeing it from other folks? Yeah, uh, which is what causes the the stress or the anxiety. Yeah. Okay. I think that we should move to the next part of the podcast. To to our, our, yeah, to our did you know. And in keeping in the theme of our conversation, we've got an article. One, I just recently discovered this study in doing the research for this podcast. Uh, Gallup organization does an annual global emotion study. So I, they've been doing it for 15 years. And so mm-hmm. I stumbled into the 2020 report. Did you know of this report? No, I knew it? about a, a global happiness study. So I don't know yeah. if it's the same or they're nope. different. Oh. They're okay. different. Okay. Yeah. So the 2020 report was just released and it's, they collected the data across 2020 and early 2021. So it's an interesting crossover in the years. And I'll be honest, I don't think the results are going to shock anyone at a high level, but I did find some really interesting findings in there and thought it would be good to share in light of our topic. So the study has two indices. One is about positive experience and one is about negative experience. They collect, they basically survey around 160,000 adults across 116 countries and areas and, and then share what they found. And 
as you can imagine, the impacts of COVID, political and social unrest that's been happening, climate change, you name it, over the last year certainly created an interesting year to explore this information. And that's not that stuff doesn't happen in other places, but a global pandemic has been a while since we've had one of those. Let's tackle these indices separately just to look at them. So the positive index asks whether you've experienced five different things the day before you took the survey. And it's asking you about, did you feel well rested? Were you treated with respect all day? Did you smile or laugh a lot? Did you learn or do something interesting? And did you experience enjoyment? I'll pre- is- it, it made yeah. me think, I'm like, what did I experience? Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. So the surprising news, actually, here is the surprising news, is that the positive experience index stayed steady. Since 2006, the results of the positive index has basically stayed relatively the same with slight increases over time to the last three years, which have basically stayed the same. And so, for example, do you feel well rested? 72% of respondents said they felt well rested the day before. Were you treated with respect all day? 86% said that. Do you smile or Mm -hmm. laugh a lot? 70%. Do Do you experience enjoyment? 72%. The low item is, did you learn or do something interesting, which was at 49% which as a love of learning makes me a little sad, but that takes a little more. So, but here's the thing, the one note that, so while that's good news, right? Like we didn't lose positive experience attraction. The one note that made me sad is when you look at these at the individual questions, and I guess quite understandable in in the context of all the lives lost this year from the pandemic is that the world smiled less and laughed less in 2020. The percentage dropped down from 75% to 70%, which is also the lowest measure Gallup has ever recorded for this quest. So that's sad, but also understandable. In case you're curious, countries with the highest positive experience were El Salvador, Philippines, Norway, Nicaragua, Paraguay, Senegal, Iceland, Colombia, New Zealand, and Finland. And I like, I expected Finland on there. I expected New Zealand. Some of these other ones were surprising to me and partially probably because I just don't actually totally understand the context of the culture. Mm -hmm. The the lowest were in Iran, South Korea, Jordan, Benin, Tunisia, Bangladesh, Pakistan, Nepal, Lebanon, and Turkey. So thoughts, reactions to the positive index? There is something with the, all the countries are, that are on the positive index that are from Latin America, obviously being from there. People tend to be very happy regardless of the situation they are in. So people tend to be very positive. So I see that those countries being there, but I also see a complete different opposites polls, right? Norway is one of the the, the um, richest countries in the world. Yeah. And then Senegal and El Salvador would be in the list and even Philippines in the list of the, the countries that are not the richest, not to say the poorest, but some of the poorest countries in the world. So the highest positive experience doesn't have anything to do with wealth, according yeah. to me. Yeah, yeah, which, yeah. Which I found very interesting. New which Zealand, they- Finland. They touch on that in that report and we'll post this report for you all to get access to. It actually is quite interesting, but that exact point they talk about. All right. So that's relatively good news, except for the smiling, Mm -hmm. right? And laughing. So don't get too excited yet because the negative index also measures five things. And they ask you again, what you experienced the previous day before you took the survey. And they're measuring whether you experienced physical pain, worry, sadness, stress, or anger. 
Mm-hmm. And what the negative index showed was that as positive as people were trying to remain in 2020, the world was a sadder, angrier, more worried, and more stressed out place than it has been at any time in the past 15 years they've done this study. Wow, 15 years. 15 years. So just to give you some context, three in 10 people said they experienced physical pain, four in 10 worry and stress, one in four sadness and anger. So just to give you a little bit, countries with the highest negative experiences are Iraq, Lebanon, Peru, Egypt, Tunisia, Congo, Iran, Uganda, Ecuador, and Mali, with the lowest negative experiences in Japan, Lithuania, Israel, Kyrgyzstan, Latvia, Russia, Estonia, Mauritius, Kazakhstan, and Taiwan. Hmm. That is my practice in geography language, which I think about this, maybe it makes sense to to me. I don't know for sure how I think about those, but 2020 was officially the most stressful year in recent history with a record high 40% of adults worldwide saying they experienced stress during a lot of the previous day. This is a five percentage point jump from 2019. So just over a year, this has jumped. And overall there were double digit increases in stress in 21 countries and areas. So Thoughts on that? I think I think that the difference is that this has been an event that has been worldwide. So yeah. obviously every country, there have been a lot of events in recent years that have affected a region, a particular country, yeah. another particular country. And they have been really major events that have been very sad and very stressful. But these events have been officially across yeah. the whole world. So then that's why it makes sense to go for the 15 that is going the saddest, angriest world, world in the past 15 years. If I look at the list of the countries with highest negative experience, I know because I was there even last year, Peru, I was there in Peru before COVID started or around when COVID started, uh, before COVID lockdown started. And Peru and Ecuador, that are the countries that I know from this list personally, they had a very bad experience, a very sad experience, the way that they dealt with the, the actually all the cases in the pandemic mm. were the worst in Latin America. So yeah. then it makes total sense that, you know, that they were worried and sad and they have been having also challenges from a political part. Lebanon, with all that happened last year, not only with the pandemic, but then the explosion. Yeah. yeah. So then I think that there are some things that, that make sense. And, and we only hope that this is going to change going forward. Yeah. And what are the implications of the entire world having a 5% increase in negativity? So, yeah. And the impact that has on people's outlook on life and hope and those types of things. Yeah. So we'll, like I said, we'll put this, it's in the podcast notes for you to be able to access as well as we'll share it through social media as well. I, I found it very interesting. Uh, and for those of you that would be interested in looking at that as well, we'll make sure that you have access to that. All right. So clearly we officially now know that we are more stressed out this last year. And we officially know that we're not alone. So Mm -hmm. let's Mm -hmm. talk a bit about stress causes, implications, and coping mechanisms. So Mila, did you know that there was officially a stress industry? No, I really didn't know that they call it that way. It's all the companies and organizations that are creating, selling, distributing, writing, et cetera, products, and insight on how to manage stress. And frankly, let's be honest. (laughs) 
this podcast is just another drop in that bucket, except it's free from our, our listeners. So make sure you spread the word. <laughs> anyway, a New York Post article said the average American spends $960 annually directly on trying to feel less stressed. So I am going to get the give you the caveat on this article I read. It was a survey that was commissioned by a company that was selling CBD beverages <laughs> um, in an effort to sell more of that product. And that being said, I have spent a few dollars on CBD products myself and as well as meditation and calming apps and all that kind of stuff. But what about you, Mila? Have you bought in to the stress industry in order to find yourself some some tools and resources. Yes, I have. I I have a, a couple of meditation apps. I have a, a massage, what they call here in the Netherlands, they call a stripping card, which is like a card that you buy, like a loyalty card. A it's stripping, a stripping card. A stripping card? No, not a stripping. Not that you are going to strip. No, that is not. That is. It's called a stripping. A stripping. Oh, which like is, a Okay. No, it's like a like a coupon book, like a loyalty card. Exactly. Yeah. I have yeah. a stripping card that is for three massages that I buy sometimes with the same uh, therapist and uh, what else? A lot of other things that I can think about. I bought a, a little uh, therapy thing. Yeah, uh, mine's blowing right now as we're. <laughs> yeah, as we're I can recording. see it. Yeah, I can see. I can see it. Yeah. So a lot of that. Ironically, the things that work best for me are actually free. <laughs> yeah, and I still spend this money. So things like exercise and reading, getting out into nature. But here's the thing: they're free. But are they? They require something <laughs> that I don't actually have an abundance of, which is time, and is one of the core sources of my stress is my lack of time. Um, so I, I don't know. And additionally, for some more background. And there are so many different causes of stress from those that are within our span of control, whether we think they are or not, but like the things that we have more control to adjust and change or to those that aren't like, as we referenced in the Did You Know article, the disease, political and social unrest, climate change, we have less of an ability to have an immediate change to that. But then layer on systemic racism, sexism, poverty, you name it, there is a lot of heavy stuff that people are dealing with. So when it comes to stress, it's all relative. <laughs> yeah, that's true. And women tend to carry the burden of the demands at home with family and household or keep uh, well, children, etc. Um, a Cleveland Clinic article shares that as demands increase to fulfill these roles, women can feel overwhelmed with time pressures and unmet obligations. They may feel a sense of failure in not being able to meet expectations for themselves and others. We talk about these in previous podcasts with time yeah. poverty and also with the poster syndrome. And oftentimes women spend more time meeting the needs of others rather than nurturing their own needs. It function at high stress levels, women might not even recognize what their needs are. This brings us to my story. Yeah. <laughs> so while we tapped into your world of languishing, I thought I'd get us a bit of a conversation about stress and what we're experiencing. And then we'll wrap things up with some no cost, low cost ideas for people to tap into. But this article's point about functioning at high stress levels. I am a person that can handle a lot of stress and pressure. I'm pretty resilient and I can scan for options pretty well. So I don't feel trapped in situations or I don't feel limited by and large. But when I do get to my tipping point, it's ugly 
And it typically manifests in health issues for me. And as Mila can attest over the last couple of weeks, being super delightfully cranky, which I sound really lovely on this podcast, but 10 minutes before it, I was delightfully cranky. So anyway, <laughs> but for me, like the health issues have been like chest pain. I like my whole body itching from head to toe. It triggers my vertigo, which my vertigo manifests like a heart attack. So then I'm back to chest pains again and neck and shoulder and back pain, etc. My list goes on. So part of the challenge is that because I can typically handle a lot of pressure and stress, people don't actually check in on me and they figure I can handle what comes my way. And compounded by the fact that I don't generally speak up because I don't want to add to other people's stress until I'm at the tipping point and then I just blow. And that's where that article in your languishing article, while I would not describe what I'm experiencing as languishing, that whole piece about not depressed doesn't mean you're not struggling hit me hard because I'm like, nobody ever checks in on me. They think I got it all put together, which I guess I should take as a compliment, but like, Sometimes just checking on me is a nice thing. So if I talk about like right now, like if I just put it out there, we have the house of Apis that we're launching and all the work that's taken to get it to the, the next point that we're about to do. And there's a lot to do with that. I manage my own freelance freelancing business, which is my income. It's my girl's got to eat source. And I'm a treasurer for a nonprofit board that just lost its executive director. So I'm having to contribute two to three times more time than was explained to me when I signed up for this, this piece. I have a home renovation that has literally, and I am using the term literally correctly in this point, a year long project between having to change contractors and all this stuff. And it's still lingering. That is languishing. I'm going to tell you my, my, <laughs> renovation is languishing. And then on top of that, I have a parent with terminal cancer and have been flying back and forth to help them. And then all of this during COVID, I have several close friends that have all been having to navigate something overwhelming in their lives. And I've been there to help support them. And I have high responsibility and I care. Sometimes I care too much. And for me, there's not much time left after that for me to take care of myself. I can't seem to carve out the time to exercise. So I feel like crap. I'm fried. Mila knows this. I'm fried. Mm -hmm, totally fried. Mm -hmm. And listen, I know this is the other thing that makes it hard for me. I know my tale of woe is somebody else's fairy tale. Like I also get that there are much worse life circumstances out there, but it doesn't matter because I'm still feeling the stress. So I've been dusted off my apps. <laughs> I'm making sure I have time to read. I've been using my CBD. <laughs> <laughs> I'm taking my supplements to help with my cortisol levels. And I'm trying not to over medicate with wine. Yeah, because the headache is not good. No, afterwards. well, as opposed to the thing that I shared about the countertop full of wine earlier. But what I really need is the stuff is the time to do that free stuff that I talked about is the time to exercise. Y'all know I love to twirl, to twirl. Yeah. Yes. Listen to music. And to be honest, I kind of just need someone to reciprocate checking in on me. And for me, that's the bigger stressor because I don't know, Mila, did you ever hear about that thing? The love languages? Yeah. 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 Okay. My love language is reciprocity. So I don't do things to get things back. So like, I just went, but yeah, I do highly appreciate when people reciprocate the care that I've given out to them. Yeah, of course. Uh, and so when it doesn't happen, it pushes on values for me, which then adds to my stress. So I'm already mm -hmm. stressed about other stuff. And now I'm even more stressed because nobody's checking on me. Um, 
So there's this article called the high cost of calm, um, and we'll put it in the podcast notes. And there's a section that talks about how having your values pushed, compromised, ignored can be a really big contributor to stress. And as I just spread, that's totally true for me in a lot of different mm-hmm. ways. I've just explained one of those from a values perspective, but I don't know, Mila, like how does that resonate with you on values and stress? Yeah, first of all, I want to say that that the other thing that I feel that adds to the stress is the fact that you are seeing it happening and you don't know how to stop it. And then that's why you feel like that. And and then I know that I also cause to that stress because, yeah, I know. You're one Uh, of the people I care about. I think actually to what you just said, I know how to stop it, Mm -hmm. but I can't find the time to do what I need to stop it. It requires me to back off of my responsibility and my caring, which gets me into a value system. So so I know what to do, but it creates great inner turmoil to do it. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) yeah. And that's why self-care is not being selfish. And then when your value and that conflicts, that is a challenge. Yeah. So I, I, I think that for me, the stress that comes is between the the uh, real situation that I have, so how I'm feeling with the languishing or the depression, and the fact that I'm not letting it show to anybody. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and and one of the things that I have and that I have mentioned this before, I think on the podcast as, as well, is that I feel that I have a bipolar life. So if you look at the details of this report, maybe it's not there, but I live in two different uh, lives. One is I live in the Netherlands, where it's a country where probably the happiness or the contentment or the positive index is high where there is a health system that works. There is a stable uh, political situation. I have locally a very good job and a, a good way of living, a house, and then everything is safe around me. And then I have my family and my heart in Venezuela, which is in a situation that is very difficult at the moment, where my parents were basically in a drawer <laughs> for one and a half years until they were able to get the vaccine. And why they were in a drawer is because in in, uh, in Venezuela, there is no healthcare system. There is lack of running water sometimes, lack of electricity sometimes, lack of uh, medicines. Then, you know, the cost of things are so high. And there is that constant worry about how the situation is over there. My parents are very, uh, well, they're completely broke because then the, the, the currency had devaluated so much. So that is a situation of a stress and worry that I have, the values of safety and being family and everything um, yeah. together. So yeah. that is what I have. That is what I... And being so far away, right? Oh, yeah. Trying to figure out how you can help from a distance. The And we all know the outcome of prolonged stress. We don't need to spend a ton of time talking about how it impacts us mentally, physically, relationship-wise. And for many, it ends up with a trip to the hospital that we may or may not come back from, uh, yeah. depending on how it impacts our, our, our health. So what can we do to manage our stress? So... Mila and I search for some low cost to no cost options because right, different people have different resources, but also different things work for different individuals. We wanted to put some things out there that you might want to check out and see if they can be the right outlet or resource for you as you seek to put in 
place a stress management strategy for yourself. And we'll put something out on uh, social media because we'd love to know what you're doing. But so Mila, maybe you and I can tag team on a few things that we've discovered and could speak to. I can get the party started for us. Yeah. Go um, ahead. So Mila knows us. Yoga is not my thing. <laughs> Everybody tells me, go do yoga. Yoga stresses me out, people. Yoga I'm okay with. But I'm a curvy girl and yoga stresses me out more than relaxes me. But breathing's my jam and breathing I can do. And breathing is free. It's harder in some environments because of Mm -hmm. pollution and those things. But it really, it truly does help me bring down my stress levels when I stop and focus on my breathing for even just a minute. Mm -hmm. It lowers your blood pressure. It helps you regain some focus. And so I use a few things. I have an Apple watch. There's a breathe app on there. I love that thing. Sometimes it tells me to breathe when I don't even realize I'm all, and then when it goes off, I go, Ooh, yeah, I need to simmer down. Um, (laughs) Or sometimes I just tap it when I need it. And then there's another free, well, she has some paid things, but there's, she also has a lot of free resources is, uh, and a lot of people in the U S know about her is yoga with Adrian. Have you ever heard Mm -hmm. of her? Yes, but I like yoga with Cassandra. Oh, well, <laughs> find, find your gal and tune into her. But she has all sorts of programs for those who like yoga, unlike me, but she also has one that focuses on breathing. And I'm, I actually just started that one and so far so good. So it does have yoga in there, but it really focuses on the breathing piece. So I'm trying to do that. And maybe the combo platter will help me find peace with yoga. <laughs> Yeah, no, that's good. That's good. I like yin yoga because yin yoga is very good in the with the energy. But if I would add something around laughter, uh, because laughter is really uh, the best medicine, as they say. Yeah, I I discovered because I was on Spotify and then I was looking around for some other podcasts, but I was looking how our podcast was uh, featured, and then I came across there is a Netflix joke of the day app. <laughs> <laughs> or a podcast. No, it's not an app. It's a podcast. Yeah. And then basically what they do is, you know that they have all these stand-up comedians on Netflix. And then what they do is they get some bits from those stand-up comedians shows and they put it on this app. And then there is like the joke of the day. Obviously they started two years ago and I just started listening to it. But it's so funny because then you start listening to it and it's just a little joke. It's probably, I don't know, it's probably a minute or two minutes or three yeah. minutes. And it cracks me up. It's really funny. I really like to listen to that. I have had it like sometimes I had to run to a to an appointment. And then when I talk about running, I'm actually biking because here that's what <laughs> we do. And then I put just that and then I just cracking up is really funny. So that helps to relax yeah. and to just let go. I ask uh, Alexa the joke of the day. There actually was a house during the uh, apocalypse, as I call it, that had a sign that they would put a joke of the day outside in front of their yard every day. So when I was walking the dogs, I would see that. The other thing, when you started talking about laughing, I will put this link in the podcast notes. Have you ever seen the laughing yogi? No. Oh, I'm going to put it in there. If you don't laugh with the laughing yogi, I don't know. (laughs) It makes me giggle. So I'll put them in there. So all all y'all can enjoy that. All right. So so a second one for me, and it goes to how I discovered the jokes of the day in the neighborhood is take a walk. And 
bonus points if you focus on your breathing while you're taking your walk. So when I walk to decompress, I have two versions of how I do it. One is I blast music in my ears, very energizing music, and I get lost in the song or the music or no music where I'm just really focusing on my breathing. If you can get 30 minutes in, great. But honestly, like a 10 minute walk has done wonders for me. I was really angry about something a couple of weeks ago and I was just like ready to explode. And I just put my walking shoes on and changed my clothes. And I went out and I only went out for a 15 minute walk. I felt way better by the time I got back. So just that movement and getting your blood pumping and that kind of stuff. So free. Yeah, yeah. What I do is I cycle. So obviously here you cycle basically everywhere. But then sometimes I, and this this city is basically Main Street, the Main Town Disney. How do they call it? Main Street Street USA. Yeah, it's so pretty. I mean, really, really pretty city. And I live in the center of Amsterdam. So I'm lucky. And then I go out on my bike. And then sometimes when you are in a hurry, you don't notice things. But then when you are like biking, like really in a nice pace, then I just start looking around and I'm like so happy. that your I'm... purpose, right? Yeah. Like your yeah, purpose yeah. is to enjoy the cycling, not to get exactly. somewhere. Exactly. Yeah, no, I like it. And she's not lying. It's very beautiful by where she lives. All right. So I'll give one more and then maybe you can give us one more as well. So I'm actually going to pass on my physical therapist gave me two, I'm calling them magical tricks, (laughs) both free. And one is easier than the other. So the first one is I'm a jaw clencher when I'm stressed, like my, I clench my jaw and then like that causes my neck pain, which causes my shoulder pain, which causes my back pain, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So she told me to sing (laughs) and to sing something that's positive and upbeat as far as the mood thing, because when you're singing, you can't clench your jaw and it's ah. brilliant. It's brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> Why did I have to wait until it was 50 to figure that out? <laughs> <laughs> now it's clearly not appropriate in the middle of a meeting. You can mute yourself and take yourself off video and sing. How's that? Maybe that's the bonus of being on a zoom, <laughs> but, or when you have an awkward audience, it might, but give it a try. I'm telling you, it's a miracle. It's changed my life. And then the second part, which is harder than it sounds is to get really grounded with your feet. I'm doing it right as you speak. Are you excellent? So try to play, pay really close attention to what your feet are feeling, the texture around it. Are they hot or cold? How does the surface feel on your skin? All the things, are your shoes too tight? Do you not have shoes on? What are all the things? And so for those of you that are diehard fans, you'll remember this is what rendered him barefoot in the movie. <laughs> But so don't remove your shoes when you're at the Nakatomi Towers for your spouse's Christmas party. But otherwise, go for it. I found it hard at first. This is a deep exercise in being present, but it works. You shift all your energy and focus to your feet and it releases the stress and tension across the rest of your body. So she shared it for me as a tip for me to relax better when I'm at the dentist, which worked. I will tell you it didn't, it didn't remove my anxiety because I'm a dentophobe, but (laughs) it did lower it down to where the poor man wasn't having to arm wrestle with my tongue as he was trying to do my dental work. But anyways, (laughs) where were you putting your feet? Yeah, no, I had them. They were all relaxed because I was focusing on my feet and Ah, in their shoes, anything, but anyways, all right, give us one more Mila. 
Okay, so for me, I'm going to go back to basics and is meditating. So you were talking about breathing before. I do it while meditating, obviously. Mm -hmm. And what I do is I just sit. I, I cannot really sit in lotus because it really hurts in my knees. But then I sit on a cushion. So I sit like on my knees. Yeah. And, then, and then I start saying, I'm breathing in. I know that I'm breathing in. I breathe out. I know that I'm breathing out or I notice that I'm breathing out. So that is how you say you, you say it when you come in the breath, and then you say it again when, you, when it comes out. And it's very good because then that is how uh, it takes you in the flow. Obviously, this is the free part. Otherwise, you can get the, any meditation app. There are a lot of meditation apps that are actually free, and yeah. then you can, you can get some of those. I use Calm. That's the one that I like the most. And you can use different suggestions that they have there. So I really like it. Awesome. So that's a few tips from us. I shouldn't say they're totally free because they do require time. So you got to spend some time. Yeah, that's but, true. but you'll notice I didn't say twirling though either, but I, you all know that's a given twirl away folks. But one last tip that I'll share is something I learned when I attended the human performance Institute over a decade ago. And one of the discussions they had with us was about the ability to move between fear-based emotions and opportunity-based emotions. Uh, and the difference is between feeling trapped and despair versus hopeful and having choices. And taking a moment to understand what you're feeling and identifying the emotions and then finding a path to the more opportunistic emotions could be the mindset pivot that helps you find the energy that you need to be able to move through the moment of stress. So I feel, oh God, how am I ever going to get out of this? I can't get out of this. If I pause mm -hmm. and you're like, right, okay, I'm actually feeling pretty hopeless. So how do I move out of that? How do I see opportunity? What can I solve? Like doing whatever conversation you need to have with yourself to get you shifting over to where you start seeing hope and opportunity can help with that shift. So we'll provide you with the link to the psychology today article that has some options. If you scroll through it, there's like three different experts that tell you all sorts of things you could do to try and manage your stress. And there's plenty of other stuff. And like we mentioned, we'll put some stuff out on social media. So feel free, please share your <laughs> your ideas and what you do. So the broader community can learn from your different things and low cost, no cost is always a bonus because that helps all our listeners to be able to tap into that. Yeah. And we are going to move to our, it does an old sock segment right away because we have been in an interesting conversation and we have been talking about all the stress, but we are talking now about ideas and things that help us manage stress and even feel happy. So one of the things that brings me joy is when I can bring joy to others. So in these episodes of It Doesn't All Suck, we bring the story of Kimberly Wybenga, who understood that there were many people in her life going through rough patches and feeling languishing, by the way, and she decided to take manners in her own hands and by bringing joy to others, she brought joy to herself. In the article that we are going to link, uh, we hear that she wanted to brighten the outlook for friends and family and wonder who doesn't love a compliment. Some of us don't like it too much but uh, to receive it, but <laughs> eh, a lot of people actually love compliments. So she bought 10 small jars and wrote out compliments for 10 friends that she thought could use a dose of happiness. So just writing out the compliments brought her joy and she decided to buy 20 more jars to spread the love even further. 
So she didn't stop there either because she was actually being happy doing this. So she bought an additional 20 jars. And at the end, she gifted 50 jars and did it all anonymously. And all together, she hand wrote uh, 1,750 compliments. And so one recipient commented, sometimes the universe knows exactly what you need. And this touched me to the core. The thoughtfulness that went into this is amazing. So what I find really sweet, I don't know what you think, but is that she tried to do this anonymously and she disguised herself from the camera and uses costumes. So she didn't want to people to know, but she ended up being discovered as people really wanted to know who was the one. And they were even tracking her postcode to, to, to her zip code to see who he was and then who was a nice friend and I wanted to provide the compliment. So that is very nice. We are going to share on social media the link so you can also see the video and read this. She provided them flow too because now they had a project. They had a mystery to solve. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Gave them some combined purpose in doing that. So that's awesome. What of uh, a going away gift from a previous uh, job that I had was a jar full of all the things that people had appreciated of working with me. And it's nice to have because I didn't read them all at once because to your point, like a jar full of compliments would have been overwhelming, but I took one out whenever I needed one. And they were like good reminders at moments of when I was stressed or needed something. So I think that's lovely. It's a great idea. Yeah, It's great. Yeah. 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 All right. For those of you that have listened to other episodes, you know that right now is the time that we're going to give you an ask because we always have an ask that we put out to the community related to the topic. And this week's ask is simple. And knowing that simple does not mean easy, but it's simple. Mm -hmm. Take care of yourself. We started by saying self-care is not selfish. So our ask is to commit to doing one thing special for yourself over the next week. And then consider creating a ritual where you give yourself something every week to look forward to. We'd love to learn from you as well. I'm always looking for ideas and things to do. So when we post the ask in social media, please share with us the one thing you decide to commit to yourself and go be selfish. Yeah. And I would like to hear what you did as well next time that we talk. So that is it for this episode. Just the start of us talking about self-care here at the House of Apis. So women's health and being kind to ourselves. We are so glad you tuned in and we really hope you all take the challenge of this week's ask and give yourself a moment of self-care. The other thing that is important is to recognize when you need help, make sure that you reach out to people and or two organizations that can help you out. Until next time, please join the conversation out on social media, explore houseofappies.com and come find us in the newly launched online community that we are calling The Hive. We can't wait to meet you. So until next time, good morning from Seattle. And good evening from Amsterdam. Bye-bye. Yeah. <laughs>